Let's open our Bibles, please, to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And this is praise for divine goodness. And I prepared Psalm 107 and 108, but I don't know, since our time is long gone, well, we'll probably just stick with 107. Look at 107. It says, first of all, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift, what does James say? Cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And when it says every good gift and every perfect gift, notice the word gift is used twice. It says every good gift, the gift itself, and then the second time it's used is talking about the act of God giving. There are two different words. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. Cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So there's the gift is one thing, and the giver is another thing in the act of giving, see. And that's what we're talking about in James chapter 1, verse 17. And it says, For his mercy endureth forever. Notice the word endureth is in italics. And this may help or may do a little injustice because the fact is, it's not as if God's mercy endureth forever as if it has a beginning now, but if you read it without that, and His mercy forever will reach back into eternity for God has always been a God of mercy. So if you notice that word in italics, it's been added by the translators. And that's the reason it's in italics. It's an honest, good translation. Verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not only... Uh, be glad for our redemption, but uh, be thankful that we have the privilege of communicating that redemption. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Remember what Job said concerning his redemption in Job 19? He says in verse 23, Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. Well, Job, you, they were. And it says that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. Better than that, they are in the Word that never will fail. For the Word of God endureth forever. And he says, what does he say about his redemption? For I know my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So Job looked forward to seeing his Redeemer, face to face. After this body's destroyed, he said, yet in my flesh shall I see God. In other words, I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to be glorified. I'm going to be a new creature. And I will see God. And in those days, they say, some say that Job should have been the first book of the Bible, or in the time element, or chronological order, it would well been back in the book of Genesis somewhere instead of over in the book of Job. But we won't discuss that or dispute that. But the thing about it is, he said a lot of things that uh, do not indicate that he had any evidence of the law and of the first uh, way that uh, sacrifices were offered and everything. Uh, so there's a lot of thought that needs to be given to that. But what we're saying is that Job, knowing as little as he did about the whole plan of salvation, still knew he had a, needed a Redeemer and he had a Redeemer and that there was a time after this life that he would see God. Okay, let's get back to this. In Psalm 107, always hold your place where we're studying. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. We were bound by the enemy. All of our sins had bound us. Satan had bound us. The adversary had bound us. The law had bound us. Everything 
that the enemy has for us. And you know the Bible says the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So we have been delivered and so we and redeemed and we've been redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And in verse 3 it says, And gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. We have come from every direction. Remember Jesus said, Thou bring from the east, north, west, and south, and they shall sit down with Abraham. He says they're going to be brought from every direction. In the book of Isaiah it says, Go to the ends of the earth and find my people. Bring my sons and my daughters from afar, from a great distance. We find that Jesus said in John chapter 10 that other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that there will be one fold and one shepherd. And then we think we don't have an opportunity to serve. When there are others to be brought in the city, beyond our bounds, through our missionaries, and to the ends of the earth. And so the purpose of the gospel, Jesus said that go ye into all the world and make disciples, baptize those disciples. Then he says teaching them to observe all things. So that's the purpose and commission of the church. You know, you've seen preachers that say, well, now this is the program of the church. And they make a list of stuff about 20 long, you know. I can condense it a little bit in the words of Jesus. He said, go and preach, make disciples. Then he said, baptize those disciples. And then he said, teach them about a threefold platform. And if you elaborate on that and fulfill that, you have a whole realm of of uh, missionary work and of service for God. So you don't have to have a long list of things. Do you know I find that the more simple that you can keep things, the more you can help handle them. So let's keep things simple, but let's keep them biblical and scriptural as well. So look, it says, And gather them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Verse 4 says, They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. You know, we all wandered away from God. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray, everyone to his own way. And as a result, it says, and the Lord, or Jehovah God, hath laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We were all straying sheep, and what happened? God says, I'm going to impute to the head of Christ all your sins. In the Old Testament, the high priest would place his hands upon the head of the goat, and thus impute our uh, to the head of that goat, all of the sins and all the iniquities of all the children of Israel on the Day of Atonement. And then he would, one goat was to be killed and there had to be blood sacrifice. The other goat was to be the scapegoat. And the same thing was done there. And, and that scapegoat was taken into the wilderness by the hand of a qualified man. It says the hand of a fit man. And he was taken into the wilderness and let go so that it would never be found. Thus indicating that in the death of Christ, He not only paid the sacrifice and shed the blood for our sins, but in doing so, He took our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far have they removed our transgressions from us. And both of those goats represent the fullness of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. One, they were for the sin offering. And uh, for all, it says for He would confess over the head of that live goat all the sins, listen, and all the iniquities and all the transgressions of all, the word all is used time and time again, of all the children of Israel. And then he was taken away. Someone says, where are my sins? They're all there. Past, present, and future. All of them. 
Because that was done once a year looking forward to the sacrifice of Christ. But Christ once in the end of the world hath appeared to put away sin. He did it in a complete way by the sacrifice of Himself so that they're all behind God's back. He says, I'm casting all their sins behind my back. And they're all buried in the depths of the sea. And he says, furthermore, on the basis of this, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. So it says in verse 4, they wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. In a little bit, we're going to see where that God has a city for them to dwell in. But right now, in our natural condition, we were wandering away from God. And then it says in verse 5, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. We hungered for God. We needed to be hungry for God. Jesus said, Blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You know, isn't it a a wonderful thing that God, by the power of His Holy Spirit and through the ministry of His Word, gives us a hungering for His goodness and righteousness. See, man by nature doesn't hunger after God or desire God. He is going astray like the lost sheep. But God, by His Holy Spirit, makes us to have a desire and a hungering and a thirsting. And that's why Jesus said, Blessed or happy is the man that does hunger in Matthew chapter 5 and thirst after righteousness. It says, For they shall be filled. In verse uh, 6, it says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. You see, trouble and distress often drives us to the Lord. They cried unto the Lord in their trouble. In Psalm 46, let me read a verse of Scripture. Verse 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So that's what men need to do. And, you know, in doing so, it's not a a bad uh, thing to do. If God brings us to the place that when we have great troubles and do not know how to be delivered from them, it says, then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. Trouble... A lot of times, man's extremity becomes the end of his rope, is God's opportunity to show his grace and his love. We get to the end of the rope and we don't know what to do. And God says, okay, I'll send someone to help you out. I'll send, uh, Bert and Linda were telling about down there on the border, they were trying to get across and a lady come along and quoted a scripture to Linda. And In Spanish, did she say it? She spoke in English and uh, anyway... Uh, the scripture just hit home. In a little bit, well, they were on their way. It took a little while, a little finagling, a little management, and the Lord intervening, and so on and so forth. But they got on the cross. You know, things worked out. So we don't know what, it need, what we need in the time of trouble, but our extremity, when we come to the end of our ropes, well, God is always there, and it's His opportunity to manifest His power and grace and direction uh, for us. In verse 7 it says, And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Look back up in in verse 4. It says, They found no city to dwell in. Look at verse 4. They found no city to dwell in. But he led them forth, in verse 7, by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. God says, You don't know where the city is, but I know where there's one. See, we search around. And so God has a way for us. We're led in the right way to the right city. The Bible tells us that Abraham looked for a city whose, uh, which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He sojourned and dwelt in tents as strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Abraham, a man of God, and yet 
he knew that he was a stranger and pilgrim. He dwelt in tents. And you and I, that's a lesson for us. This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. And so let's don't get too well grounded here. It's true, God gives us blessings and houses to live in and food on our table and clothes on our back and things that are necessities of this life, which is right, because he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But then on the other hand, let's not get so attached that when the time comes that the Lord is ready to take us home, that we won't be ready to go. Remember Lot's wife? She looked back and became a pillar of salt, didn't she? And Jesus used that as a warning not to be too attached to the place where you are. And especially the kind of a wicked world that we live in, right? Because that was a wicked city that she was attached to. Okay, let's look on down. Uh, verse 7, And he led me forth, and led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works to the children of men. All of this deserves, this deliverance from bondage, this leading, this guiding to, to the right place ought to cause men to praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works unto the children of men. By the way, you have this repeated several times in this psalm. Let's look at verse 9 now. Deliverance from prison. It says, For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. You know, God is the one that satisfies us. By the way, uh, this is why all men should praise the Lord, because he knows what we have need of, and he satisfies the hungry soul with goodness. Uh, Beginning with verse 10, we have deliverance from prison. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. The misery and danger of prisoners. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1 verse 79 that Jesus came to deliver those that were in darkness and in the shadow of death. And then it says in verse 11, Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. A lot of the things that people suffer in the way of bondage and in the way of affliction is brought upon by themselves. Look at the next, this 11th verse. Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. This is how they became prisoners. We've transgressed and rebelled, it says in Lamentations 3 verse 42. It says, we have transgressed and rebelled. And when people rebel against the words of God. You see, we, when, when people rebel against the words of God, they bring a lot of their troubles upon themselves. Have you ever seen folks that say, I don't know why I'm having so much trouble. I don't know why that I'm in such a situation as I'm in. And they just can't figure it out. Well, have you listened to God's Word? Have you been obedient to God? He has a way of deliverance for you. He has a door open for you. So the best thing for us when we find ourselves in such condition is to say, God, I want your counsel and I want your Word. And I want to be guided in the way that you would guide me. And then maybe I won't have quite as many of these problems heaped in upon me as I have. And I won't be in such affliction as I'm in. And it doesn't mean that every affliction is uh, something that is a judgment upon us. But the psalmist said in Psalm 119, and there are several passages, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Sometimes it's to correct us. But now I have kept thy law, thy word. And then he said another thing, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. It's good in the sense it makes us depend upon God and turn to Him and and believe His Word and obey His Word. And He says, 
Another place, he says, O Lord, I know that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. That it was God's faithfulness that brought it about. So there's, there's a kind of a, a mixture between what God does for us when we are in affliction and what we bring upon ourselves as a result of our rebellion to the Word of God. So there's a twofold avenue there. Don't ever think that just because everyone, someone has an affliction, that is directly as a result of direct rebellion, disobedience to God. It may not be. But it may be to draw them closer to God at the same time. Because we know through these things that we are brought closer. Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Well, we're going astray. Well, God says, okay, I want to bring you back. And usually when we go astray, it's because we're not obedient to the Word of God. So it all ties together. Now it says in verse 11, Because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. The counsel. The Bible says, Guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me into glory. That's where we get our guidance. It's from God's counsel or God's word. And when people will not be guided by God's word, that's when they get in trouble. Verse 12, Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. There's no help outside of God's help. You know, if you're turning to the world for help, the Bible says in Isaiah 31 verse 1, Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help, that trust in horses, trust in chariots, stay on horses. That means to depend upon them. The word stay, some people can't stay on them when they're bucking. But that means to put their faith and trust in the horses for power and strength because that was symbolical of power and war in the Old Testament. So we find that to depend upon the world is the wrong thing to do. To depend upon God is the right thing to do. There was none to help. Remember the man that Jesus met at the pool of Bethesda? Bethesda, rather. He met at the pool. And he says, You know, when the water is troubled, I have no man, Lord, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another step then before me. He says, I have no man, Lord, to put me in the pool. None to help. He could not help himself and no one else could help. This says, and there was none to help. And sometimes all human help is out, is out and our own help is out. So then who's going to do the helping? The Lord. It says in verse 13, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. That's time to cry unto the Lord, isn't it? He saved them out of their distresses. If we could learn to do that. That's the prisoner's cry. Verse 14 says, He brought them out of the darkness, out of darkness and the shadow of death, and break their bands and sunder. That which bound us, He brings out those which are bound with chains. In Psalm 68, verse 6. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. The prisoners delivered. He brought them out of darkness. Shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and his wonderful works uh, to the children of men. Again, we have that refrain, don't we? It shows why men should praise the Lord. Remember, Peter was delivered out of prison by the angel. We were talking about how many angels it takes. Linda and I and Bert, my wife, are talking today. And it says, should you pray for one angel or two or how many angels to pray for? Well... It doesn't make any difference how many you pray for. There's a whole host encamped round about them that fear Him. So you got them all. Just however many you need, that's how many you'll get. It's just like a preacher. He needs only the power that he needs at the time. Some preachers say, Oh, I just want to be filled with all of God's power. Well, you don't need all of it. God has enough to go around. If you need enough to preach, He's going to give you enough to preach. 
If you need enough to, to study, He's going to give you enough to study. If you need enough to witness, He's going to give you enough power to witness. But see, it's there and it's available. But why waste it? You know, if you go out here and drive your automobile, you say, well, this thing, it, it, it's got all these gears and all this power and all this gas pedal. And I think I ought to just use it all at one time. And you cram your foot in the carburetor and you run through the house. Well, maybe you just needed to back up and turn around. What's the use of doing that? What's the use of wasting it and tearing things up? No point in that, is there? But it's there when you need it. God's power is there when we need it. Doesn't mean it's out of waste. And a lot of folks think that they ought to just be a walking dynamo or generator and go out there and they can just do anything in the world they want to do. A lot of guys are after that. And you know, I find out when they're after that, they usually don't get any of it. God gives you what you need. You trust Him for it. And He'll give you the power you need to preach, to, to witness, to live a Christian life. And if you're weak in one point, say, God, I need the strength for this. Let me give you something. I'll get sidetracked once in a while. Look in the book of Colossians. I want to show you something that may be surprising to a lot of people. Probably showed many of you this before. In the book of Colossians chapter 1. I want you to notice verse 10 and 11. Listen. And it's in Paul's prayer. In verse 9 he says, well let's read verse 9 through 11. It says, Colossians 1 verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now, what are you going to pray for, Paul? Listen. And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's one thing. Filled with the knowledge of His will. And then what else? In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That God would give you wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing. That you might walk a Christian life. Look. And then he says, being fruitful in every good work. Now look, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then he says, strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. I want you to stop there a minute. Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. And you think, well, boy, Paul's talking about going out here and working miracles and doing great things and you're going to see the mighty power of God and all this going on. Look at the next statement. Unto all patience... And long-suffering with joyfulness. What is the power of God able to do for you? You see some little old lady here that's going through trials and problems and needs and is patient and is joyful in it all and long-suffering to others in the midst of it all. Is that the power of God? That's what Paul says, the power of God. You see that? That's what it is. What makes her able to do that? What makes a mother that has all the problems of of the household and of children and of family and of sick ones and other, what makes her to be able to be joyful and long-suffering and patient? The power of God. See, with all, look at that verse again. All strength with all this mighty power. He's talking about unto all patience and long-suffering and how with joyfulness. You see, sometimes we mistake the power of God. We don't understand exactly what it is. We have the idea that the power of God only is manifested when you see some miracle worker over here doing some miracle as some of the modern evangelists try to show you that they're doing. Well, it may and it may not be the power of God. I'm not going to dispute that and I'm not going to get into that. But I have my own ideas about it. I think a lot of it is not the power of God. And I think a lot of it is an emotional stir and claim to be something that maybe it's not when it's tested and the facts were all known. 
And I've been in some of that in times past. But anyway, back to this. So, let's look at our Scripture. In Psalm 107, verse 13, it says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distresses. He brought, verse 14, He brought them out of... Well, I, I did all that, didn't I? I did verse 15. Uh, verse 16. He says, For He had broken the gates of brass now, and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Look at verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression... And because of their iniquities are afflicted. You see what I said about sometimes foolish men transgress both the laws of God and man. And fools make a mock at sin. And sometimes they bring upon themselves troubles. Do you know that about the greatest troubles and the most troubles we have are self-inflicted wounds? Self-inflicted wounds. We always say, well, you know, that guy caused me a lot of trouble. Well, what did you do about the situation? Didn't you kind of magnify the situation or have something to do with it that brought more affliction on yourself? That's about 90% of the time. Say, well, that guy ran out in front of me and I hit this. Well, why weren't you watching what you were doing? Let him go his way. If he ran out there, just back off a little bit and keep your cool and your head and not get in the middle of a squabble and trouble. Not cause yourself to be to have all the problems you do. And that's what happens a lot of times. We bring troubles upon ourselves. And we bar them. We think there's going to be more tomorrow just because today was bad. And we multiply them and magnify them. And some folks have a little trouble factory working every day. They just got one. Well, you know, this is going to be bad, sure enough. And if there's not one, they'll dream up one. But you know, if you can learn to look at every day... Every day we have to do things. There's work, there's uh, pain, there's sufferings, there's uh, trials, there's problems. But the main thing is for us to learn how to face them with grace. And face them as a part of the day and a part of our responsibility. And it's not always going to be easy to do. But if we paint every trouble and every picture and everything that, that comes before us with a black brush going to be a dark world, isn't it? But if we will look at it from the standpoint that God may have a purpose in this, and even if something goes wrong, say, well, maybe God's trying to get my attention so that I'll pay more attention to what I'm doing. Not only physically and materially, but spiritually. Maybe I need to, to come back to the things of God. I wish our time was done. Verse, uh, I'm just going to ignore it as if it's not. Okay. Verse uh, 19, uh, verse 18. It says, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Sometimes we even lose an appetite for the, good, for the good things of life. It's pretty bad when you get in a situation that your appetite is ruined. I got to where I want to eat now. I'm getting more healthy, and so I want to eat. Well, I have to watch it all right and make sure that I eat the right things and do the right things. But then, it would be wonderful if we had as good a spiritual appetite as we have physical, wouldn't it? If we wanted to eat and have God's Word. Uh, Job says, I have esteemed, listen carefully, I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. And Jesus said to the devil in that great temptation, He says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. Sometimes we get so concerned about this physical food, we fail to realize how important the spiritual food is. So if we get our minds right with uh, on the things of God and have a spiritual appetite. It says, 
Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. You have it kind of a, a repetition of what we've already studied. Verse 20, he sent his word and healed them. What did he send? He sent his word and healed them. What does it mean he sent his word? He sent his word. The word has an answer. God's word has counsel. God's word has power. The powerful has power. The Bible says the word of God, listen, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder, listen, of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then the next verse, that's Hebrews 4.12, verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, that's clearly seen and known and revealed, in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He sent his word, look, and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. When will, when will, will we ever learn that there's great power in the word of God? There's greater power in the Word of God. Did you know God says, I have magnified, that God has magnified His Word, listen, above all His name? He says He's magnified His Word above all His name. I believe that's Psalm 138. Let's look over there and see if it is. Maybe if Vicky will pray for my memory. And verse 2. It says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. We know God's name is magnified. We know his name has glory attached to it and majesty. But he says I'm, that thou hast magnified <coughs> thy word above all thy name. Now, it doesn't mean that God's name is any less, but it shows that He puts a great deal of emphasis upon His Word. And, and you know, when you and I minimize the power of His Word and the value of His Word, we're just barring trouble. That's why I love the Word of God. It, it has power. It has a message to each and every one of us individually. You know, if you take your Bible and you read it, you say, well, I, I, need, to, I need to have contact with God. And I don't mean just say I'm going to open it here and hope that that's the right place. You might hit on the right place and you might not. But get your mind on studying a, a chapter or a, a book of the Bible. Read First Thessalonians. Read Second Thessalonians. Read First or Second Timothy. Read the book of Ephesians. Read the book of Colossians. Just take a book and read it. And time you re by the time you read the book of Ephesians, for instance... The six chapters. You'll have enough information and enough message from God personally to you that you'll know how to cope with the situation. You just sit down. It takes a few minutes, 15, 15 minutes to read the book of Ephesians. Maybe 20. You take that time and you read the book of Ephesians or Colossians with four chapters or some of the other small epistles of Paul. And you'll find enough direction in those books to give you an answer, probably, to your present problem. And that's why people are not guided. Because, you know, I had a, per a family that was concerned about being counseled and taught. And a couple that's having some problems. And, and uh, I told them, I said, be in Sunday school Sunday morning. They said, well, we're going to be there. I said, because eventually we'll touch on it in our Sunday school class. And probably you'll get enough out of each one that you'll be guided enough and help you that 
under that particular uh, uh, stress or problem. And, you know, they didn't show up. And their problem is serious, too, when it comes to do with the law and courts and various other things and, you know, problems of probation or what otherwise in help, needing help, spiritual help. When you get folks like that and they won't avail themselves of God's Word, then they're just not getting the direction they need. And uh, if I could just... You know, I said in our New Year's message, come to church. Just come to church and it'll help. And a lot of folks say, well, you know, I do this when I'm at home. Well, I hope you do read your Bible. I hope you do pray. And most people that are really dedicated to God will do that when they're home too. But it doesn't mean you can eliminate the preaching and teaching of God's Word, which He has ordained, and the assembling of yourselves together, which He's also ordained, and says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But exhorting one another, and so much the more you see the day approaching. So it doesn't mean you can ignore other aspects of God's way of edifying you. He says, the things that are done in the church, let everything be done unto edification. What is edification? That's building you up and lifting you up. And you see, God's Word will lift you up. But unless you hear it, or unless you read it, how are you going to get the lifting up? If I tell you that here's a hydraulic lift and you get on that, that'll lift up and put you in the truck bed or whatever. Or you get in an elevator and that'll take you up. You say, yeah, that does. But if you never step on it, it's not going to lift you up. You can stand right in front of that door till you turn blue in the face. And you won't be lifted up. You're not going anywhere. You're just standing there. It's of no avail. Same way with God's Word. It's for edification. And it will not lift you up unless you avail yourself of it. Where were we? What verse? 20? Okay. He sent His Word and healed them. We're talking about the power of His Word. And delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Let them be thankful. And declare His works with rejoicing. Not only make thankful for it yourself and sacrifice with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, you know, Paul said in Romans 12:1, Therefore, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, and he includes all the mercies that go on from chapter 12 of Romans back through chapter 1, I beseech you, therefore, and that all adds up to the what's back there. And you can read all that's back there, and there's a lot of mercies, aren't there? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Look here. Let, and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, Romans 12, 1. Wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. See, when God does something for us, it's only reasonable that we should render the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And then Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Do not conform to the world and its image and its message. The world means the world without God. The world means that which is not spiritual. The world has to do with the natural man and the things of this life that are not of God. And be not conformed, uh, be not conformed to this, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
And it says transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say by a renewed mind. That would mean if you're transformed by a renewed mind, you'd just do it one time and all of it would be said and done. But by the renewing means a constant, continuous renewing day by day and a continued process of renewing your mind. You know, our minds drift off worldly things, don't they? We get to be conformed to this world. But he says, be you transformed. In the midst of all that being conformed, will turn around and be you transformed. Because say, look, something's going wrong here. I'm not transformed into spiritual things and heavenly things and the things I ought to be thinking about. That's Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. 